Thank you for being with us today, taking time from your busy schedule. Today's uh, Sunday's morning's message. This will be part number four of the second message that we have begun last week and the week before. And this is a continuation. We will have a part number five and a part number six. Please join us as we continue. Just having mentioned the effects that the conscience has on the life of an individual, when our conscience is condemning us, when our conscience is working against us, we cannot walk in faith. One of the requirements of walking in faith is having a pure conscience. And that's why a lot of people have defeated lives spiritually because they don't deal with their conscience by having the Word of God wash it, wash it so clean that you have no memory of it anymore. Your heart doesn't condemn you. You can come with confidence before God in prayer according to the Scripture. It says in 1 John, in chapter 3, that when we have issues in our lives with our hearts condemning us and our conscience coming against us in the book of first john in chapter 3 starting with verse 20 the scripture says for if our hearts condemn us god is greater than our hearts and he knows all things Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, if we don't have a conscience that's convicting us and condemning us because it has been purified, it is a good conscience, it is a conscience that serves God out of a pure heart of love, then we have confidence towards God. And notice the results of having confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And notice what His commandments are. His commandments are, according to verse 23, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus, the Anointed, the Messiah, and love one another as He has given us commandment. The command to believe on His name, for there is no other name given unto man, whereby we can be saved, but the name of Jesus. It is the name that is above all names. It is the name that was bestowed upon him for having conquered. It is the inherited name of Jesus. And at that name every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord, both in heaven, on earth, and beneath the earth, because he conquered. And this is one of the representations of that red heifer, the work of, of the purifying because of a dead conscience. When Adam and Eve sinned, their conscience kicked in. In fact, there's some readings, depending on who you're reading and studying, instead of calling it the tree of good and evil, 
or of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's actually called the tree of conscience. Because man ate of that tree, and his conscience was awakened now to know good and evil. And from that day on, man began to live by his conscience. You see a really beautiful example of this. That when Cain kills Abel, you see the conversations taking place in his mind, in his heart, and in his life of how sin is at your door and it wants to have access and control of your life. But yet he refused to acknowledge the murdering of his brother. You have to remember the law had not been given yet in this sense. Moses didn't come around until way after the flood. First you had Abraham and you had another 400 plus years before Israel went out into the wilderness and received the law. The law that said, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not homicide. That law. Yet we find that Cain, when he killed Abel, the only ruling factor was his conscience. And then if you read the following stories of Lamarck and several of the others that had also committed sin, you find, wow, if his sin was punished seven times and mine is going to be punished seven times, 70 times, you see these things and you begin to see that man lived by his conscience until his conscience was so corrupt, was so bad, that God himself personally had to come down and see these things. And the flood had to be announced. And God gave a limit to man. He said, your days are going to be 120 years. Once this man dies, which I can't even pronounce his name, then that'll be the end of all flesh. And that's another symbolism on the ark. But right now we're trying to understand some of the parts, some of the shadows, some of the types, some of the things that are figures in this sacrifice so that when Jesus came, we see a fulfillment of these things. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So these individuals had to wash and they had to bathe both their clothes and their flesh. Now, remember, we're talking ceremonial cleans. There may have been maybe, maybe some natural elements in the water through the ashes of the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet and the red heifer that were able to cleanse and maybe uh, uh, sanctify the body from bacteria or viruses or, or whatever on the actual flesh or on their actual clothes. No different than today's distancing and, and going in and washing constantly with soap and, and using disinfectants and using uh, hand sanitizers. There may have been something in the water that was when the ashes were added, that made it possible. 
but talking spiritually what Jesus came to do for us we're at a different level we're at a different mode because our clothes are represented in the righteousness of the saints according to the book of Revelation 19 our clothes and the Bible talks about in 1st John in chapter 1 in verse number 9 it says if we sin and if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness in our spiritual walk we will be contaminated by the things we step on we will be contaminated by the things that we touch touch not the unclean thing the Lord says be separate that's talking about spiritual contamination just as in the natural when they touched the dead body. Who knows what the body died of? Who knows what killed it? And it doesn't take long for bacteria and viruses and disease to begin to spread as soon as the body dies. That's why people, when they came across stepping on the bone of a dead man or someone that was slain in battle, you never know. Nowadays, all you need to do is come into uh, saliva that somebody has uh, uh, certain diseases and, and, and have that come into contact with certain parts of your body and you wind up also being contaminated and catching these diseases. How much more? The Lord literally saying spiritually be separate. Do not touch the unclean things that contaminate the spirit. Do not touch. That's talking about do not lay your spiritual hands and grab a hold of things that are going to make you defiled. So there's a lot of beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things that we can encounter. Well, let's continue reading because we have still quite a bit to go. And then it says in verse 9, And the man that is clean shall gather the ashes of the heifer and lay them outside the camp in a clean place. And it shall be kept for the congregation of Israel for a water of separation. Th th these ashes were supposed to last for generations and generations until another red heifer was sacrificed. They were used for purification. And in the life of the individual that took the ashes, he was a clean person, just like Eleazar was clean, just like the individual that was sacrificing, just like the individual that was burning it. But the act of doing those things made them unclean. Now they needed the water of separation to make them clean again. If you stop and think about the writings of Paul in the book of Romans, he said, there was a time when I was alive unto God, and then all of a sudden the commandment came, and I died because of the commandment. In other words, the moment I had a conscious awareness of sin, and I disobeyed at that moment, I was separated from God. And I needed some measure or form of cleansing. Something to bring me back to that original state of being pure. Or, as it said in the book of Genesis, that they were innocent before they reached the 
time of consciousness. And depending on who you study, who you read, the dispensations and the ages of consciousness and, <clears throat> excuse me, innocence and uh, government and law and, and conscience and, 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 and all of these things. I'm just simply saying there was a shift from man being innocent to now man having to live by the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of his conscience. But as time progresses, man's conscience is seared. Man's conscience can become polluted. Man's conscience can become evil to the point that he'll actually call that which is evil good, and he'll call that which is good evil. And we live in that society today where good is called evil, and evil is called good, and good men are called evil, and evil men are called good. Thank God for the effort, the waters of separation, the waters of purification. It says in verse 9, reading it again, And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the effort, and lay them outside the camp in a clean place, and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel. In the same manner, the word of God has been kept by God from generation to generation. And heaven and earth can pass away, but God's word is not going to pass away. That word for a water of separation, it says it is a purification for sin. Now, sometimes people will take this and they'll say, well, see, the water washes away sin. Remember, we're talking about the symbolism here, the figures of what it was going to do. When we get to the book of Peter, Paul talks about, excuse me, Peter talks about when the flood came and the purpose of the flood and one of the representations, it was the baptism in water was for the sake of a good conscience. And we'll be talking about that also, like I said, we're going to be going through quite a number of uh, 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 parts uh, to put it all together. And we'll talk about that when we get to that. When Paul and when Peter also talk about baptism and each one mentioning certain things, every, every little aspect and every little part, there is significance to what these men were teaching and what they were saying to us. But as far as we are concerned right now, we are talking about what happened in the time of Peter. Uh, it says <clears throat> that God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. God is waiting. He's not willing, but he is waiting. He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants man to come to that point of repentance in his life so that the blood of Jesus can cleanse him wash him, forgive his sins, so that the rest of his life and the rest of the days of his life, he can live it out with a pure conscience before God. But if an individual dies in his or her sin, there is nothing that can be done for you. There is nothing that can be accomplished. All is lost at that point. So reading from 1 Peter 3.20 and 21, 
the scripture says, which sometimes in the past they were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, as I mentioned before, God not willing that any should perish, while the ark was being prepared, wherein a few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. And the reason they were saved by water is because the water took everybody else away. Everyone else whose imaginations was constantly wicked and evil. The figure whereunto, notice, it's a figure. Even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The purpose 